It is so good to be here. I'm so excited to be here. There's something about this church. Uh, my wife and I talk about it all the time. We just love to be here and to just experience God in this place. And through the worship, I mean, your guys' worship team is amazing. I mean, yeah, give it up for that. And to me, worship is, to, to me, the preaching of God's word just goes right along with that worship. I believe that preaching is just another form of worship. And I'm so privileged to be here. I want to thank Pastor Rod and the team here for allowing me the privilege to come share God's word. Now, I just, usually I apologize ahead of time. I can get very comfortable and excited, and I know it's early in the morning. And sometimes people struggle with that. Too early to be excited. But we just sang about being in the presence of God. We just sang about who he is. And once that really hits your heart and grabs you, I mean, I don't know how you cannot help but to be excited. But just in case, I wanted to tone it down just a little bit. That was my wife's out name, man. I wanted to tone it. I want to, I want to tone it down just a little bit so I didn't have my Folgers this morning. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll be relaxed a little bit. Uh, yeah, before we get to our, our text this morning, uh, Mark chapter 14, I just want to say a few things, just kind of way of kind of set, setting this up. I've been waiting to preach this text for, I don't know, years now. It's been years. And I know with all my heart that the Lord has picked me today to bring this word for his people. And he's asked me to bring it in only the way I can, and that is to be myself. And then on top of that, Pastor Rod says, make sure you be yourself and preach it, brother. That's what he said. You need to preach it. You need to have fun and do your thing. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning. Now, our text this morning, I love it so much because there's so much messiness in all of it. And I've heard it said before that if there's no messiness in it, there's, it's probably not ministry at all. And I love how Jesus doesn't avoid the messiness of life. We do. We do. If we're honest with ourselves, we try to avoid it at all costs. We, we try to cross to the other side of the road, so to speak, and go around the messiness. But God enters into it. And so this morning in our text, we're going to see regret. I don't know if you bring regret here this morning. God is going to meet you in that. There's shame and guilt. I don't know if some of you here today are carrying some of that here today, but I believe the Lord is going to meet you in that. There's fear and lots of tears. Maybe that's where your heart is at this morning. And there's also pain and suffering. You put all that together, 
and it's ripe for the Holy Spirit to come and hover over it and to make a place in your life and experience him in that. Amen? So let's read Mark chapter 14, and you stand up here, Am I right? Yep. Last time I was here, you, that happened, I was kind of, whoa, what's happening here? <laughs> so we're, we're reading um, 53 through 72. They took Jesus to the high priest, and the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then, stood, then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witness? He asked, you have, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene. Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word that you've given us today. We thank you, Lord, for your sovereign hand that has carried us to this moment. Father, I'm asking now, Lord, that you would give each of us the ability to see you, to hear you, and to respond to you. 
We come against every demonic force, anything that would come to hinder your work this morning. And we release your blessing, your shalom upon the hearts of your people. Now, Lord, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase, that I would relax in you, Father, and make you known. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, Jesus' predictions have now all come true. Three times in the book of Mark, he told his disciples that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men, that's Mark 9, 31, would suffer many things, Mark 8, 31, and he would be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law who would condemn him to death, that's Mark 10, 33. Jesus goes on to say in verse 49 of chapter 14 that this has all been done so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, that nothing is out of order, nothing is out of place. He hasn't missed a step, that this is all according to his plan, and he has already predicted the very things that are happening. The transition from Jesus driving the action, which has been what has been happening throughout Mark, to his being a passive character in the hands of others is now complete. And you all saw that last week. As Judas and the crowd comes and takes him away, this transition has now taken place. This morning, though, I'd like to peer through the crowd and bring close attention to two main characters, Jesus and Peter, as they are both simultaneously being questioned based on their identity. If I had a big idea for this morning, this is what my main point would be. Knowing your identity in Christ brings healing and freedom. Knowing your identity in Christ brings freedom and healing. And I would go a little bit further to say that knowing that you are a beloved son or daughter of God brings healing and freedom. I love stories. I'm a storyteller, I think. If you get to know me, you probably, here he goes with another story. But I love the text that I was given today because there are two stories in there. Again, we have this Marky and Sandwich sort of of thing where he's telling, putting these two stories together. But it's interesting that based on, you know, those first few verses, you can see that this is happening simultaneously. I don't want to move ahead too fast, but notice the language in verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest. Jesus has now submitted himself into the hands of sinful men. The next verse says that Peter followed at a a distance. And so this is cueing into these two things happening simultaneously. The difference, though, is that one knows their identity and embraces who they are and follows God into what comes next. The other, however, 
is not embracing his identity, doesn't really know who he is. And so when the difficulty, difficulty comes, when the suffering is presented, there's a folding that takes place. Jesus is being questioned by the Sanhedrin. This is important to know that because this is the who's who of the religious. This is the elite. This is those that would be the ruling body over political, religious, and social, and economic affairs. And I don't know what's scarier to me, religious people or just some people you meet on the street sometimes. And here he is before this, these religious elites being questioned. He submits himself to the difficulty. He knows what is coming. This man knows his identity. And this all leads to frustration to the high priest who stands up and asks him about all this. They've already stacked the decks against him. They already have people in place, these false witnesses, trying to give testimony. Nothing is lining up. He's frustrated. Speak. Say something. Prove yourself. This points back to the book of Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. He did not open his mouth. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is a clear indicator that God is nothing like us. Because if we were in this circumstance, we would quickly begin to exert our authority and our power and our rightful place. But God submits himself to difficulty. Jesus is giving us a clear picture here of what it looks like to be a disciple. In real time, this is actually happening. We can see it done right here in front of us. I love that. Because I'm not really the, the, the book smart guy. I need hands-on training. Let's go out and actually do it. I love that about Jesus. He gives a quick assignment, tells a quick story, and then now let's go do it. But it seems most of us, or some of us, me included, we've gotten uh, complacent and settled in to let's just listen about what it could look like or what it should look like. But Jesus shows you what it is about and what happens when you submit to him. This is amazing because he knows what's coming. But yet the sign of a disciple prepares itself and is willing to suffer. Let that just sink in a little bit because that can be a little bit intimidating. 
to, to, to suffer for him. The high priest is so frustrated and he comes at him and now the question is right to his identity. Are you the blessed one, the son of God? And he says, I am. And I can only imagine the force that came with that once he said that I am. You know, I feel like it was probably, you know, one of those religious, spiritual slaying situations where people might have fell out because you said, I am. This is the I am. And this frustrated the high priest deeply. Furiate him. This brother starts ripping his clothes. And we already know from earlier on that these clothes are important to them. He's ripping them, tearing them. So upset. But Jesus has now revealed publicly his Messiahship. There's something throughout the book of Mark called the Messianic secret. And you'll see all throughout where Jesus, once he brings the healing or does, you know, heals the blind or the sick or does these the miraculous things, he tells people not to say anything. Isn't that interesting? You would think, why not say something? Let's spread the the news. Let's get it out more. But this secret is kept until the full message is exposed, until the full heart of the message of the gospel is revealed. This message would include suffering. See, he didn't want to just be known as this miracle worker, this great healer, this political messiah, this come and be on my team and we'll all win. He wanted the people to know that to walk with me, to be with me would include difficulty. I love that even as I say it, it would include difficulty. What's even better about that is Jesus has said this is he's actually walking it out. Isn't it, isn't it something different for someone to say what they're going to do and what they're committed to and then to actually see them do it? Doesn't it do something to you when you see that? It's like, well, this brother, or this sister, they said they were going to do it, but they actually did it when it got difficult. See, it would be easy to walk with Jesus and follow Jesus if I was just getting healed all the time and I was on the winning team and we were advancing all the way. But when things get difficult, that's when we begin to lose our our identity as a disciple. And so Jesus gives us here a clear picture of what it should look like to be a disciple of his, doesn't he? We we see it clearly here. He stands in the midst of, of this difficulty. He begins to take a beating. He's whooped. He's spat upon. And he stands. And that's great for him. But what about me? 
Because I can't say that all the time. Can you? And I haven't even been faced with this type of difficulty. I haven't always stood in the face of my faith being tested. And that's why I love the next character in our story. I love Peter because this is more the reality that I've seen in my life. Peter and Jesus are both being interrogated, but there's a stark contrast between their questioners. Jesus is before the chief priests in the Sanhedrin, while Peter is confronted by a mere servant girl. And I don't know why, as I've been studying this and thinking about this, I'm just thinking about how some of us, we're not before the Sanhedrin, but sometimes we can't even pray in public at a meal. Have you ever had that? I'm assuming that most of you are Christians here. Have you ever had that warfare come on you just at a meal? Should I pray right now? Can I get someone to talk to me this morning? Am I the only one that has ever been there where there's warfare in my mind? Should I pray right now? This would be a simple example of me showing myself as a disciple, just praying over this meal. And some of us can't do that. Some of us here in this place, I've been guilty of it. We've left, my wife and I have left dinner time some before, and man, we should have prayed. Why didn't we pray? Oh, man. I think most of us in this room would relate much more to Peter and his circumstance than to Jesus and, and where he's at. Amen? A mere servant girl. Peter has forgotten his identity as a follower of Christ, a disciple. Jesus had called the 12 to be with him. The very thing she is attributing to Peter because she's going back to him. You were with him. You were hanging out with him. You even sound like him. You are part of his crew. She's actually speaking the truth. She doesn't make threatening accusations. She merely identifies him and does so in terms of the truth. Peter's response is ironically full of truth because he doesn't understand. He doesn't fully grasp what it means to be a disciple. How, how, this is not playing out the right way. How could this be God's plan for my life? This isn't turning out the right way. <laughs> and I, I, yeah. That's good. Amen. Amen. His understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is diminished over the course of the narrative due to his resistance to the cross. I wonder if that will be the story of some of our lives. Our understanding of the gospel 
being diminished, diminished over the course of our walk with Jesus because we do not have the ability to really embrace what the meaning of the cross truly is. We, we could start out strong and we could start out knowing all our Bible verses and have all the right books and say all the right things, but is our faith being diminished because we're resisting this cruciformity, this place where we see Peter at? And he's warming himself by the fire. I love this. He's warming himself by the fire. This is repeated a couple times. This is indicating that he's only looking out for his own needs and desires. You know, we have fires in our own lives, don't we? That we're warming ourselves by. These are these places that we go to, that we run to, that we find comfort in. We're warming ourselves by the fire. It's, it's too difficult for me to actually carry out what God is calling me to. And so I retreat. I become like Adam hiding. Where are you warming yourself? By the fire. His actions here are actually the exact opposite of what a disciple should look like. What's interesting about Jesus' story, where his identity, he reveals his identity, is in the midst of his greatest weakness and suffering and pain. He was rejected, he was beaten, he was... But right in all of that is where his identity, where he stood up in. He didn't forget who he was. He stood up in that. And now the same thing is now bringing Peter to a place where he's at his greatest weakness, where he's at that point where he is now broken before God. And I love earlier, we read the very text that I had put down here because when, when Peter is now realizing what's happening and he, he hears this, the crow, uh, uh, the third time or the second time, and he remembers what Jesus said, he probably remembered the verse that we read. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Jesus said this earlier in Mark chapter eight, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Imagine if that is what he remembered. That would put him right in the place of those people that were actually beating his master, his, the one he's been serving. He's now standing around the fire with the very ones that are abusing Jesus, the one he supposedly loves. Maybe you relate to Peter this morning. I know I do. 
I know I have, and I know I probably will in the future. That's why I need the gospel daily, Kurt. I need, I need it every day. I need to hear the gospel over and over again because I have days when I don't have faith. It's almost like I'm leaking sometimes, and I need more of him. That's why I need the, the body of Christ to come around me and remind me of my need. Your, your pain and, and suffering and hurt reminds me of what I've been healed from. And it's this, this body that comes together and it, 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 it heals itself almost. Maybe you relate to Peter this morning. The other question is, how are you doing as a disciple of Christ? How are you doing? How are you living out your identity in Christ? What, what does that look like? What is the hard thing that God is calling you to do? The hard thing. What is he calling you to? Is he... Or maybe you're so warm by that fire. <laughs> I ain't thinking about no hard thing, brother. I'm good. As I was preparing for this, I, the Lord just really put on my heart to share um, a story that is somewhat embarrassing, but I, I, feel, I feel like maybe it would speak to some hearts here this morning. And um, this, this was a place where I'm, I'm much like Peter. Um, um, I felt like I uh, betrayed somebody. I don't know if you know what that feels like to betray somebody. I, I, I had the feelings of regret and shame upon my life. I don't know if you, if you can relate to that this morning, but um, real quick, growing up, my mother had, uh, she was a really bad alcoholic, and she suffered from um, uh, not pancreatitis. And so when she drank, it would, she would get violently ill, violently ill. And she would spend long stints in the hospital over time, three weeks, three months. My sister and I would be handed off to different family members. And this was just regular routine. And so I remember as a child walking to the hospital and not really knowing in my head, is, is my mom going to die? That, that's what was always, is, is my mom going to die? That was always in my mind. Is she going to die? When is she coming home? Is she going to die? That was just always in, in my mind. I'm just a kid. This would go on, go on until high school and throughout, and to the point where I, I stopped caring whether or not my mom was going to die. I'm just going to be honest with you. I had suffered through this so long and dealt with her alcoholism and all this. Now I'm grown. I don't have to deal with it no more. And so later in life, she would come to the point of having cirrhosis of the liver and her body would be shutting down. Now, I'm a Christian at this point. I think I might have, now, I wasn't a pastor yet, but I'm a Christian. And, I'm, you know, I know how to say all the right words. I know how to pray for you. And one day she called me and I brought her to the hospital and for some reason, I had brought her to the hospital a lot of times growing up. And 
But for some reason, she had called me and wanted me to bring her to the hospital. And that was odd because she never, we usually had to force her to the hospital. She goes to the hospital, and I remember dropping her off at the hospital. And I remember thinking, this is probably the last time I'm going to ever do that again. And sure enough, later, later that evening, I would begin to get a call from the hospital. And they would say, you know, this is the time that normally people, family members come to the hospital. This was the very thing that I had been since I was 10 years old. This was the call. This was the conversation that I had been been so afraid of. Now it was happening. I just hung up the phone. I just hung up the phone and thought, you know, I'm just going to, I'm retreating. I'm going to go get by whatever fire I can, wherever I can find some comfort. And I'm not going to deal with this. They repeatedly called. This is where the shame and the guilt comes in for me in the embarrassment of telling the story. They repeatedly called, sir, you need to come. You don't have much more time. You, you need to come and say goodbye. This is where the family should come. And I, I just, the more that they did that, the more I just retreated. I, I was much like, like, like Peter. And Peter was, he was, he was, he was constantly going further back, further back and, and hiding so much so that he's now around the fire with the very people that are going to abuse Jesus. I'm retreating. My mother died that night all alone. I didn't even, I I panicked so much, I didn't even call my sister to tell my sister that her mom is dying so that she could be there. So when I read this text, I can, I can realize, I can, I can, it's not just, I'm not just reading words on a page. That, that, that is not what it means to read the Bible and to know Jesus. He's living. This, this, this all occurred. And we can read it so much that we read it. It's just like, ah, he got spit on. He got this. What? He was beaten. He was, he was bruised. He suffered deeply for us and for this moment that I'm having as I'm hiding because I'm afraid. I'm just afraid. At this point, I'm in my 30s, 20s, but I'm still that little 10-year-old that's afraid his mom's going to die. And that's some of us right here today. There's some regrets in this room. There's some shame in this room. There's things in this room. And, and, And God causes all this stuff to incur in my life so that I could be here today to share about his grace and his goodness because there's another fire that occurs. And it's in John chapter 21. And this is after Jesus has resurrected. And I believe this is the third time he's appeared to the disciples And Peter had decided to go out fishing that day. And a couple others said, hey, we'll go with you. And they're out there fishing. And they spot Jesus on the shore. He has a fire, some hot coals, fresh grilled fish. You ever had that, been camping? I mean, fresh grilled. It's just different. 
and he greets him as a friend. And then later on, he would restore him. I wonder who needs to be restored this morning in this room. That because of the the regret, the shame, and all this stuff, you feel like you can't still be greeted as a friend. Greeted by someone that is ready to make breakfast for you. Breakfast is a whole nother level of hospitality, I think. (laughs) Wouldn't you say? Because that's early morning, got to get up, got to be prepared. You can't just throw something together. This is very intentional. But this speaks to God, God's goodness in our lives, his grace for us. You see, he had already predicted all these things that would happen. He already knew. And what I believe he's saying to us, just like he was saying then, is will you do the hard thing? Will you follow me? I, I got you covered. See, the beating in there that occurs in our text, that is for us. That is for us. We, we don't need to beat ourselves up. We don't need to wallow in shame and regret. That's what we come here for. That's what we gather for, to be reminded of the suffering that already took place. Some of us need to hear this morning that you are forgiven, son. You are forgiven, daughter. And guess what? I have breakfast for you. I have breakfast for you. He says that. Earlier, it says that what his body is real food. It's, it's real. It's, it's bread. Would you receive it today? His Forgiveness, even in the midst of our failure, of our struggle, of all this messiness. Will you allow him to come into that today? Peter was restored. And later he would say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he would say this out of a lived experience. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. It's breakfast on the beach that causes us to realize how good he is. And I can bring it all, all the mess, all the junk, all the everything. I can bring it to him. And I'm received and I'm loved. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't treat us like we deserve. He doesn't, he doesn't treat we we betray him daily. And he still says, Come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much this morning. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that. It's not too late. We can come to you just as we are, seeking your mercy and your grace. Father, I pray, Lord, as we begin to sing to you, that you would grant us the ability to repent, to come in your presence, to ask for your forgiveness and receive your restoration and live out the identity that you have blessed us with. Thank you, Father. 
In Jesus' name, amen.